Hey guys, look, it's the Wiffy Window Microphones. Oh, we should do Lazy Words. I've had one that my dad hasn't put on the show yet. Do you okay, go one? ahead. I want to hear it. It's washing machine and dryer. Oh my gosh. That is one of the laziest things those I've are ever heard. Those are really cool machines. Why did they have to... Oh my gosh. Kind of. That's super lazy. Do you guys have a lazy word? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, gumball machine. I mean, gumball. That is so lazy. I have one. Well, you have well, one? I, well, I know it's it. lazy. It's pretty lazy. Tire swing. Oh, that is so lazy. It, just, it really is because see, it's, a it's, a, it's a swing. It's a tire. It's a, no, it's a tire that people swing on. All right, Maddie, do you have one? Yeah, it's board game. Oh, that, that is game. actually board very Board game is super lazy. fun, Riff yeah. and Gobbly. Uh, guys, what's that noise? A ghost! Get, get into the troll lair! Ah, uh, well, here we are. It's the, the end of Willy Wendell. You ready to record? Yep. I, this last episode, it came up quick, but I'm excited. I'm uh, Karina's coming on. and okay, Karina. Yeah. Maybe we'll tell a joke at the beginning. Should we do snack time? We just ate dinner. We're eating dinner. I mean, you know what? Although you are eating Doritos right now. Yeah, and you're having ice cream, uh, so maybe yeah, we'll skip it this skip, time. We'll just skip, skip snack time, but... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Get back in your lair now! Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes. Featuring your favorite authors and illustrators, it's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And the bookstore troll is put back safely in his lair. Yeah, I think, I think he was more scared. Yeah, you should have seen his face. Than the kids were of him. Yeah, you know... The thing about bookstore trolls is one reason they stay in the lair is just the volume of the world oh, is just overwhelming. Yeah, them, it's, so. cr- it's crazy. And you'd think a bookstore would be a nice, quiet place. Usually it is. But when our children get around, yeah, no. uh, it gets we, out of control. We thought, we thought, you know what? We'll go we'll go record Withy Windle. We'll let our kids play together while we're recording. We set everything up. Next thing you know, the whole thing gets sabotaged. And here we are having a flustered flustered just flustered. Having, having to get the bookstore troll back in his lair it's just a whole a whole thing we've been bamboozled we've bamboozled you know it's to the point where I might eat some more ice cream honestly so when yeah. we finish this we might have to you know alright so but we'll check on Gargelhauser <laughs> later right. Gargelhauser to make the sure troll. he hasn't been too traumatized um, but, but yeah this is question Patriza Graham Question Patriza, Patriza, part Patuza. Part Patuza. it's the very end of season three of Withy Windle mm. we will be back in a couple of months with season four. Yeah, this fall. This fall. But first, we got one more thing for you. And we we answered a bunch of your questions last time. But of course, we had more questions for our special guest, Karina Yang-Glazer. And so she came on. We interviewed her a little bit ago. And we asked all those questions. She was awesome. Yeah, it was a great was time. So good. And hopefully you're reading all of her books. So yeah, we're going to chat with Karina in a little bit. But first, we need to tell you about our friends. Well, you know them. They're from The Green Writer. It's S.D. Smith. If you or someone you love is an aspiring author, then try The Green Writer course. The Green Writer is an audacious invitation to writers who aspire to create and share excellent stories. With motivation, inspiration, and instruction, author S.D. Smith, author of The Green the Ember series, invites writers to launch into their writing adventure with confidence and competence. The aim of this course is to become a green writer, one who is going and growing. 
You can try three free lessons and get the Green Writer at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. Plus, when you use the code WITHYWINDLE, that's W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E, you can get $10 off the course. So once again, that is greenwriter.sdsmith.com. And thank you to SD Smith and the whole Greenwriter team for sponsoring WITHYWINDLE this season. We are very grateful that they helped make this show possible. Now, before we get to our conversation mm-hmm. with Karina Yanglazer, and we tell you a little bit about who she is, in case you, you know, in case you forgot, for example, it's joke time. Joke time. You got one? David. Yeah. What do you call a cow in an earthquake? Cowabunga? A milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) That's a solid, like, that's like a four joke, I feel like. I think you're right. Maybe a 3.8. A 3.8. We'll give, it's the last episode of the season, of season three, so we'll just, season four is coming, so we'll give you a four. Oh, I like this. Okay. Okay. Um, Here's a joke for you, and this comes from from a listener, from the Brown family. Already better than mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just just by default. So a while back, I went and saw Mount Rushmore before it was completely finished. Oh, okay. Before all the faces had been carved onto it. Brag much? Its, <laughs> it's majesty was unprecedented. <laughs> okay. Yep. That's better than mine. <laughs> go, I'm going with the six. Good, good job, Brown family. Good job. Uh, shout out to them. Shout out to everybody who sent in jokes and answered riddle questions and responded to lazy words and drew stuff and entered or communicated in any other way this season. We really appreciate all of you, yeah. all of the, all of the listeners who have just been a part of our Withy Window community. Yeah, it's been a really fun season. You guys made our spring a lot better. Graham, you want to remind people how if they want to get in touch with us, they can in advance of a future season, or maybe they want to just send some feedback or recommend an author? Recommend an author, for sure. So if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Dot com. All right, Graham. Yeah. We're gonna we're not we're not gonna stick around here and just dilly dally. We're gonna get straight to this interview with Karina Yang Glazer. We're not gonna jibber jabber. Well, I mean, we're gonna a little bit. We're gonna jibber jabber with Karina. Yeah, we're gonna jibber jabber and dilly dally with Karina. We're not gonna yeah. dilly dally with Karina. Well, we just we're gonna stop the dilly dallying and start the jibber jabbering. Right. In other words, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Is that what is that what you're saying? I like. That. All right. Well, you know Karina as the author of the Vanderbeekers book series. She also is the author of a new book called A Duet for Home. She lives in New York with her family, and you might remember that she came on back in season one, and we had a great time chatting with her. But we should probably say I had a great time chatting oh, with her. true. Because yeah. your house exploded. My house, yes, my whole house, no, it did not. not um, the whole house. My, my porch fell down at the time when we were supposed to record with Karina, so this is my first time talking with her. Yeah, we had a great time. And of course, a large part of the great time we had, of course, is because of Karina, but also because of all the great questions that were sent in. Mm-hmm. So the, all of these questions that you're about to hear us discuss were sent in by listeners. So without further ado, here is our conversation answering your questions with Karina Yanglazer. Hope you enjoy it. Well, we are here. We are back. For the second time with Karina Yan Glazer. Uh, Karina, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we got a lot of questions, and I know the kids are excited to hear from you. Great. Thanks for having me back. It's I'm very excited. And we've got, um, is that a, a tuxedo cat? Um, that definitely inspired the tuxedo cat in the Vanderbeekers. Okay. Um, yeah, all of my cats really love Zoom. <laughs> always like popping in 
Zooms, which is great for school visits because I feel like energy is lagging a little bit. Just mm, you just grab the, the cat. Here and it's like, boom, <laughs> <laughs> instant, <laughs> instant uh, attention. <laughs> so what's this cat's name? This is Annabelle. Um, hey, Annabelle. Yeah, she has a sister, Addie, and Addie is very shy, so she never shows up on Zoom, but Annabelle is always... Yeah. And I have another one who's sleeping just right to the left of my computer too. Another cat named Nala. I have a black and white cat named Bo that looks very similar to Annabelle. So Graham, do you have any cats? You don't have any cats anymore, do you? No, 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 we just have a big old dog who barks all the time. You're probably going to bark in the next 10 minutes. (laughs) No, I tried to keep him away, but everybody's a stranger to him. Even me sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have experienced this. Okay, well, we have we have a lot of questions, Karina and um, Graham. Should we start with a let's start with a Vanderbeeker question because you have Karina, you've got you've got a Vanderbeeker book coming out. I saw coming up next year. You have a fairly new Vanderbeeker book which came out. Let's see, it would have been uh, the end of last year. Is that right? Yeah. So they all they always come out in the fall. So um, one came out last September and then there'll be one this September. And if I make all my deadlines, then there'll be one coming out next fall. And the one next fall in 2023, that will be, I think, the final one. Okay. Yeah. But you also have a book that came out even more recently, which is a standalone book, right? Yes. Do you want to give a quick pitch on that one for the kids? Sure. Okay. So... Uh, this book is was actually supposed to be the second book that I published. And so when my publisher bought the Vanderbeekers of 141st Street, they also purchased a standalone book. And that was Duet for Home. That's the one that just came out. And what ended up happening is when the Vanderbeekers book one was circulating around the publishing office, they sort of we're thinking maybe it would be a good idea to do another Vanderbeekers book. So I had been, they had been talking about that. I didn't know anything about it. I was just diligently working on my standalone and trying to make that deadline. And then I got a message asking if I would do another Vanderbeekers book. And I thought they meant after the standalone. So I said, absolutely. And then they said, well, that's great, but we would like it <laughs> to come out as soon as possible. So can you put your standalone aside and work on this one? And it's going to be the same deadline. So I was a little worried because I'd already like drafted mm-hmm. multiple times my standalone book. And all of a sudden I had to write a whole new book and meet all the previously agreed upon deadlines. And that's sort of just what happened <laughs> over the next few years until finally I put my foot down and I was like, I would really like to get this book out. And they said, fine, but you can't interrupt the Vanderbeeker cycle because readers are really expecting one a year and you don't want to like interrupt sort of the momentum you've built. So that's why Hmm. um, A Duet for Home, which is the standalone book, came out in the spring rather than the fall. And it's about two sixth graders. um, And um, one of them, June, Uh, is just entering the shelter system. And the other character, Tyrell, has been living at the shelter for over three years. And it's a story of 
developing a friendship. Um, Obviously, it's set in a homeless shelter. So a lot of the elements of living in a shelter, how unique that is, the things that they have to um, live through and the community they built in the shelter is in the book. And um, also, you know, I think we ask a lot of kids when they're in a situation like living in unstable housing, um, like a shelter. And so I talk about just a lot about how the kids have to find a lot of strength within themselves to, Mm. to navigate living in a precarious situation also, um, advocating for themselves. Mm. So does this mean that you've had this book basically done and shelved for a number of years, or have you been working on it as you can revising it over the years? So this book was inspired by work I did in family homeless shelters in New York city, right out of college, which was a long time ago. Um, so I worked in family homeless shelters for four years and the story has been in my mind for that long. So it's about two decades and it was drafted um, right after I wrote Vanderbeekers one, but it definitely wasn't what it is now. Like it was written in four perspectives instead of two. I had gotten feedback from people asking like, maybe it should be three perspectives. So I changed it to three perspectives. And then my editor read 50 pages of it. And she said, well, maybe two perspectives, two perspectives. And then I just basically worked on it in between Vanderbeeker books. And then it was really hard because it was my first standalone And it was covering a topic that was um, pretty difficult to write about, at least in the way that I write, because I like to use a lot of humor in my stories. And I'm trying to find that balance between not um, not tampering the difficult parts of their lives, but also trying to bring their own joy into it, too, and the joy of friendship, of music. Um, and trying to find like that right blend. And yeah, it was sort of a mess to write. Um, in terms of it taking a long time, it went from third person to first person and then went back to third person. And then, you know, it was, it was quite a journey. I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I particularly like the audiobook of it because they have, um, they cast two narrators who, um, who read the different perspectives. And I think that brings a lot and they did a fabulous job. Between the the comments you're making about revision and having to make changes and then working with the publisher and all that, I think you're you know, you're giving the kids who want to be writers a little preview into how sometimes the life of a writer can be a little bit stressful. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think um I think we sometimes we glamorize <laughs> writers. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because sometimes, you know, I get together with my my friends who are writers quite often and we talk about, you know, it would be interesting, I think, for other people to know, like, how how funny it is, like, to go on tour. Like, it's not as fun as people think it is. Um, and it's just, yeah. But it's a great, I mean, I always, when I talk to kids, I always say that it's a great job. Um, at least, you know, for me, I love it. I love 95% of my job. 
which is amazing. Like the other 5% is like taxes, (laughs) (laughs) which is very boring and annoying, but every other part of it is great. Even when the writing has been really hard and it is, it's always hard. Um, I recently took up running and I never feel like running is easy. Like people are like, Oh, has it gotten easier over time? And I'm like, no, it's always torture. It's (laughs) like, I feel good after I run, but like in the process of it, it's terrible. And I sort of feel the same way about writing because when you're in it, it feels very hard. It feels like it's a mountain and you're just always going uphill. But then there are moments where you get that perfect sentence or that perfect Mm -hmm. paragraph and you just feel amazing. Like it's just, it's great. So I do always encourage kids to write and not feel like they always have to be amazing. The first draft um, that's not indicative of a good writer. I think sometimes we think like, Oh, if we're really good at something right away. It comes naturally to us. Mm. Then that's what we should do. Um, but it's not, it's, it's the people who love it and, keep going even though there's rejection or hard parts about it i always feel like my book is um like at that point where i'm like i should just throw away this book and just (laughs) do something else that's when i know i'm like getting really close Mm. (laughs) all right so karina uh grace wants to know this is a two-parter do you play an instrument and also did you have a little sister like laney or maybell Okay, so I grew up um, playing piano just a little bit, um, maybe just the three, like three years. Um, but my two kids played instruments growing up, and we did a type of uh, teaching where, like, the parents had to sit in all the oh, lessons yeah. and like help with uh, practice and all that stuff. So I felt like I am like an honorary violinist. <laughs> like sitting in on like thousands of hours of lessons um yeah and my older daughter still plays and she's pretty serious about it so she practices a lot and um so I feel like I've injected her into a lot of my books or at least Mm. what I've learned or her experiences into the stories yeah yeah and yeah so I in terms of the second question Grace I um did not have a younger sister I had an older brother. Um, but Lainey is definitely a lot like my younger kid, at least when my younger kid was four and three quarters, they were very similar and a lot of mismatched outfits, a lot of, uh, joy, a lot of energy, a lot of hugging strangers. So Lainey is, is very much, um, modeled after that kind of personality. So there's a question here from Eliana and she, and uh, she says, did you base any of your characters off a real person? So you just gave us one. Are there any other characters that you inspired were inspired by real people? Sure. So in the Vanderbeekers, um, Oliver is named after my best friend's son. And uh, he's pretty funny. He's, his reactions are a lot like Oliver's. Um, <laughs> And yeah, once I did a school visit at his school and someone asked that question and they all knew the answer. They all were staring at Oliver and he was so embarrassed. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he was definitely an inspiration. Um, I have neighbors, uh, 
down the hallway, I live in New York City in a big building, and down the hallway we have neighbors that were very much like Miss Josie and Mr. Jeet. Um, in a duet for home, which is the standalone book set in the homeless shelters, the two characters are definitely inspired by people I know. Uh, June is inspired by me a lot, I think. Um, and Tyrell is inspired by one of the kids I used to work with at the homeless shelters. Um, he carries a lot of that same like swagger and personality that Tyrell has in the book. Hmm. So to follow up, Mariah asked, which Vanderbeeker character is most like you? Okay, so I think I'm definitely a mix. Um, when I was growing up, probably Hyacinth, the closest. Um, I love animals. I love crafts. Um, I was definitely like on the shyer side. Um, but now that I'm a mom, I definitely relate more to like Isa or the mom. Both of them are very like uh, managerial. <laughs> so I definitely feel like I'm similar in that way. So, uh, Graham, I'm just scrolling through these questions. I know, I, what you came up. I know what you came across. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I had forgotten about some of these. So, Karina, I, I, you know, this is a question palooza. So we tell the kids that a question palooza, they can ask questions about anything. And they did. So okay. we're going to get into some questions that are going to be a little bit um, wonderful. Um, wonderful. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, okay. We'll start with this one. We'll start, we'll, we'll kind of ease our way into these, to some of these, uh, we'll call them fun questions. Caleb wants to know, what is your favorite thing to do where you live? Okay. Um, favorite thing to do where I live. Well, I do a lot of, I like doing a lot of things. So Gardening is one thing that we've been doing a lot um, recently. So we have a little free library that um, we put up in front of our building. So our little free library has a little garden area on top So and around it. So recently we went and bought a whole bunch of flowers and planted those. Um, I also run. Um, I knit. I cook a lot. Um, yeah, what, so what's your favorite things. thing to cook? I cook a lot of different things. So right now I've been, my friend was telling me about um, fermentation. <laughs> so I was like, sort of like, she was like, you should try it, like try sauerkraut. So I have like a jar of oh, yeah. like sauerkraut foaming in the corner. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like, is something wrong with it? So I'm going to see her this weekend. And I was like, can you bring a little bit of yours? So I can just like see what it's supposed to look like and like what it's supposed to taste like, because I don't want to like accidentally poison my entire family. Um, you might have a preacher um, being birthed. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. imagine, I imagine with a lot of fermented food, there's like a fine line between this is how it's supposed to be very pungent and strong. And then when it's turned, you don't necessarily know if you're not super familiar. Right. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more scared, um, <laughs> but yeah, I cook a lot of different things. I bake a lot. I bake bread. I make a lot of desserts. I made ice cream a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, a lot of dessert. <laughs> so. Well, here, here at Withy Window, we have uh, a whole segment on the show where we talk about the snacks that we're eating. So we're we're all in favor of you know desserts. So <laughs> yeah, no, snacks are definitely really important if you're a writer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, so here's a question related to that from, uh, it says Leah and company, and I'm not exactly sure who the company is here, but um, do you think chocolate-covered Cheetos would be good is what they want to know? <laughs> chocolate-covered Cheetos. Uh, I would say no on that, but everyone's tastes are different. I'm learning, you know, that everyone has their own specific likes and dislikes, so I'm not saying that it would be bad for everybody but it probably wouldn't be like something i would want although the other day i was in lancaster pennsylvania and they had like a swedish candy shop and my friend was like oh like salted licorice is like a big thing in sweden like we should try some and we did and we all thought it was like probably one of the most disgusting things we've ever tried so maybe like readers if you ever come across salted licorice maybe you could try it and let me know what you think, because I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's universally a bad taste because it's, a pop, you know, it's popular for a whole yeah. country, but yeah. I just found it really horrifying. I like other Swedish candy, just not the salted black licorice. I thought that was Well, weird. Graham and I do like Swedish, I mean, salted black licorice. Do but, you? But yes, also but. there's a lot of Swedish food that I don't ever want to eat. So <laughs> Yes, but like they're very, she's right. Like it's very polarizing. Right, and right. Kind of like, like with like hot peppers. There's like that Scoville scale of like heat index. I feel like there should be that for Swedish salted foods. Like some, <laughs> you're gonna get some black licorice that's like, it'll like melt your face. It's so salty. And then <laughs> yeah. some is like pretty moderate. So I, I don't know what kind you had. It was probably pretty strong though. We tried two different kinds. The the more moderate one, it was like bearable. But the other one, it was like almost even just like putting it near your mouth. You're like, this is yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> this is less a dessert than a punishment. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it felt like. So we're like, let's just eat cheese instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it sounds good too. Okay. Yeah. But, but Karina, yes. um, I, know, I know you're saying you don't think chocolate covered Cheetos would be good. But if you were presented with a bowl of them, would you try them? Oh, yeah. I I like trying lots of foods, so I would definitely try it. But in my mind, I'm sort of making a guess that I wouldn't like it. But I do like the separate components. (laughs) I want to know if Leah and company are like, if this is the company that they're starting. Yeah, chocolate covered cheetos. Let's, yes. we should, we I feel like it's a leading question. Like, <laughs> like they've already made these and have postmarked them to you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Are there any? Let's see if there's any other food questions here. Okay, Joseph wants to know: left Twix or right Twix? <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know what? I I haven't really had a Twix that didn't come in like Halloween form. Oh, oh yeah. it's like pretty small. Mini. So Twix. I was like. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, like the bars do come in those two. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm partial to both left and right. So I think if I was forced, maybe left. (laughs) Is that facing you? Or is that, yeah, like what is left? I think it's just their marketing. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're the same. Yeah, Yeah. exactly the same. Let's see. Are there any other food ones? Uh, yeah, there's one here. Uh, Timothy wants to know what you would choose to eat for your birthday dinner. Mm. Oh, birthday dinner. Well, in our neighborhood, we have a really good um, Ethiopian restaurant. And my family mm. loves Ethiopian food. I think my younger kid especially loves it because um, 
you can eat with your hands and they're oh, a yeah. big fan of eating with hands. So <laughs> yeah. So oftentimes if we're celebrating something like a birthday or a book lunch, we'll we'll get Ethiopian food. Yeah. Can you just des- can you describe what Ethiopian food is kind of like? Sure. I mean, um, I guess like the main thing about Ethiopian food is that injera is a very big part of it, which is sort of like this fermented like flatbread. Um, and it's sort of sour um, and very and soft. And you sort of use that bread to eat the other components of your dinner or meal. So they'll have like different things like they'll have like beets or green beans or um, cabbage. Um, if you're a meat eater, you know, there's meat, different meats that are stewed with the, they're like spicy, um, like a spice mix. That's really yummy. Um, yeah. So usually it comes out on a big platter and there's a big round injera bread that's maybe like two feet across, like, mm. like a two feet diameter. Wow. And then uh, you just sort of tear off pieces of the bread that are underneath the different dishes and you just scoop it up with your, your bread in your hands. That sounds very fun. Yes, it's very fun. <laughs> it's very fun. Yeah, we're very, we're big fans of Ethiopian food. It's, man, I'm, it's getting close to lunch and that sounds amazing and makes me <laughs> at an Ethiopian restaurant where we are. I bet we could find yeah. one somewhere in Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, there probably is one somewhere. Yeah, do that sometime. We should. We need to do a little research. Okay, there's two more questions about food, and they're both um, hilarious. Um, okay, <laughs> I'll do this one about watermelon, and, and then I'll let you do the hot dog one, Graham. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, would you? Ra- this is from Phoenix. Would you rather? <laughs> what? Uh, this is like a summary. Would you rather question? Yeah. Would yeah. you rather? have to keep a watermelon rind in your mouth all summer or have to carry an extremely melty ice cream cone in your hand? Uh, all summer? <laughs> like the ice cream cone? All I think, yeah, I I think, think it's like you have to choose between these two terrible options. Yeah. Let's say, let's just say it's one month of you have to keep a watermelon rind in your mouth or have to carry an extremely melty ice cream cone. It's a completely unfair question, but that's what kids like, right? Yeah. Hmm. That is true because if you're Having something in your mouth, could you not eat other stuff? Ooh. I don't know. I guess it just depends on how big the piece of watermelon rind is. I'm picturing it like you do, like you stick it in your mouth, and you know when you and like a smile. smile. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I'm a big fan of eating, so probably I would hold <laughs> ice cream cone or melty ice cream. Yeah, that That's- would get that would get old very fast. Though. Yeah, you'd have to. There'd be a lot of apologies if you had to go. <laughs> There would be. Yeah. Yes. That is and a great it, question, though. Although yes. you could play some pranks. Like if your right hand was full of an ice cream cone and, you know, people shake their hands with their right hand, with your right hand, you could mm-hmm. definitely pass on the sticky <laughs> factor just all around Brooklyn. <laughs> Wait, hold on. We're forgetting a benefit to this. That means, we are? It, yeah, that means it's perpetual ice cream, right? So in theory, you could just keep eating it too whenever you wanted it. So I guess it says extremely melty, but it doesn't say extremely melted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So definitely the ice cream. Yeah. Are you an ice cream lover? I do love ice cream. Yeah. I guess you did just make your own ice cream. 
Yeah, I made vanilla ice cream and then I made like a blueberry sauce. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So then when you like sort of get ready to put it in the fridge, sort of like swirl it together, put it in the freezer and it's delicious. That sounds like that sounds amazing. So wait, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Like let's say you're going to your favorite ice cream shop and you have they have a myriad of flavors. Do you have something you go to or are you kind of mixing it up? I do mix it up based on where I'm at. Um, there is a place in Harlem um, called Sugar Hill Creamery and they have really great flavors and they have like this blueberry cheesecake flavor that is very delicious. So whenever I go there, I'll always get that. Yeah. Um, I'm also a fan of like minty ice creams, like mint mm. chocolate ice cream or like mint chocolate cookie. Ben and Jerry's has like a, a mint chocolate cookie. That's really good. Um, but yeah, I don't describe against ice cream <laughs> try everything yeah i'm generally very easy going with food like as long as it's like fresh <laughs> and like not yeah. full of preservatives then i'm like a big fan yeah well now i want lunch and i want ice cream so all right so karina this is another would you rather uh would you rather eat a hot dog that was drowned in ketchup or one with a very slim line of ketchup Oh, um, I mean, I wouldn't want it drowned in ketchup, so probably just a little ketchup would be pretty good for me. So you live in, in New York City. Mm -hmm. So this has me thinking. Um, in, do, you, do people do... Uh, this may be a silly question. This is like a classic doesn't live in the big city question. Do people... like Do you grill out hot dogs and stuff like that all the time in the summertime? Um, or you have like so many great little corner shops and places you can go grab a hot dog or a slice of pizza or something. So there maybe are lots of, yeah, there are lots of places where you can grab a hot dog or pizza, but there are some people who really like to grill. Um, and they'll, you can grill in parks. Oh, so yeah. some of them have like grills there and some people have like portable grills that they'll bring out. So especially like during like big summer holidays, yeah, yeah. Um, people will like get out there really early, like seven in the morning and sort of stake their spot and maybe oh, wow. take some ticker tape and wrap it around some trees to like <laughs> <laughs> preserve your place. Um, huh. It's pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, we'll be walking on the street or driving along a highway and then there's a park right there and just like, you just see like barbecues lined up, like yeah. all down the park and smoke and the smell is great. So yeah, I mean, we definitely don't have like barbecue culture that I think a lot of other areas do have because you know other people have space but yeah, yeah. it's not like it's non-existent here yeah and you know the other pro is you have amazing restaurants like the one you were just describing nearby <laughs> yes that is true yeah and hot dogs are very cheap in new york like there are a bunch of places you need a hot dog with all the fixings for like dollar fifty so yeah the, like a like a like just like the little stands on the street, right? Um, well, the stands are generally a little more expensive because oh, okay. they are mostly like for tourists, but uh, there's like, okay. lots of like little hot dog, like to go places. Oh, okay. Over. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So don't go. So when we're in New York, don't go 
to the stands thinking that we're getting the authentic New York hot dog experience? I mean, you're definitely getting a, a <laughs> experience. Okay. Um, I never, I mean, yeah, I think that is definitely a part of New York city. And if you're visiting, like definitely should, if you really like hot dogs, you should definitely try and see what you think. Um, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of different food options. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Maybe try an Ethiopian place. Oh, when it sounds yeah. like, uh, when we're in New York City, we need to go to a park at 7 a.m. and find <laughs> Karina grilling and then maybe get some of her sauerkraut to put on the hot dog. Yeah, yes, yeah. as long as the sauerkraut doesn't poison us. <laughs> <laughs> it might be worth it, though. <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, Daniel and Caleb want to know what your favorite book was when you were growing up. My favorite book growing up? Well, I had many, but... So I grew up in a couple of different places. So I was born in Chicago and lived there until I was in first grade. And then we moved to California, Southern California. And I lived there until the end of high school. So um, when I was living in California, I was reading a lot of books. And my favorite books were always about New York City. So a couple of New York City books that I really liked were... From the Mixed Up Files, and this is Baisley, Frank Weiler, where two kids um, live in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I just thought that was fabulous. And then also when I was growing up, the Babysitter's Club was huge. And there was like a super, what do they call them? Like super special <laughs> edition where it was like a little longer than the other ones. And there was one where they go to New York City. And I just love that book so much. So I think really the reason why I live here is because books introduced me to New York City and I already fell in love with it before I came here. And mm. yeah, and it's sort of funny because you know, I went to college in New York City. All my friends, you know, a lot of them lived in the city for a little bit and then they moved. I think I'm the only like, sur- like surviving New Yorker after all these years. But <laughs> it's also great because everyone comes to New York City to visit. Mm. So see a lot of people who come through and that's really nice yeah so here's a here's a question does new york city have cat cafes because elizabeth wants to know if you've ever been to a cat cafe since we're yes, talking about cats earlier. Does have cat cafes um there are some in brooklyn um there's some in manhattan yes so there are and you can definitely go visit um if you come if you come to new york Although, I mean, there are cat cafes all over the place now, but yeah, there yeah. are definitely some in New York. Do you think people who already have cats go to cat cafes or are cat cafes a place for people who don't have cats, but like cats? Hmm. Um, I think it's definitely both because I think, you know, like in the Vanderbeekers books where the cat cafe is also for like adoptable cats. I think some people like go in there like if they want to add a cat to their family or so, yeah. So it serves two purposes. True. It can be a place where you can just hang out with cats. Actually, when I was on book tour once, I had a really fabulous um, person who was like driving me around all the different schools and um, to the bookstore to do settings and stuff. And we had at the end of the visit, we had like a couple hours before I needed to get to the airport. And she's like, uh, there's a cat cafe. <laughs> She's like, would you want to go? And I was like, absolutely. So yeah, she was so great. I mean, 
yeah, usually they're like, okay, you're just going to get to the airport two hours early um, <laughs> or two hours earlier than you're supposed to be there. So like four hours early. Yeah. And she was like, we have some time. So she zipped me over to the cat cafe. We got some tea and hung out with cats. And then she took me to the airport. Well, that's fun. We have a cat cafe right behind our bookstore, actually. Oh, do you? It's called that's Mac, great. Mac Tabby. I feel like that's a symbiotic relationship between like cat cafe and your bookstore. Yeah, it does seem to work out pretty well. (laughs) So Elizabeth, who asked the cat cafe question also says, uh, me and my friend race against each other to see who can get your newest book first uh, whenever they come out. Uh, Her favorite character is Hyacinth because she loves how much she loves her family, how much she loves to be creative, and how shy she is. Oh, I love that. I'm I'm very honored that you race (laughs) to get the books. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. So uh, this question is from Rowan, and he wants to know if you have an end point in mind for the Vanderbeeker stories or if you will keep writing them as long as you can. Right now, I have a contract that goes until book seven, which is, um, that means there are two more left. And I mean, I don't have plans for continuing after that, but I have been getting a lot of questions about maybe just to keep on going. So it's not off the table. It would also just be dependent on my publisher if they would want to continue publishing Vanderbeeker books. Um I do think if I told them, like, I feel very strongly that we should have more and I have lots of ideas, then I think they would probably be on board. They're really great. So, yeah. yeah. But if you, yeah, if readers who are listening to this podcast, if you think strongly in one way or the other, (laughs) then let me know because sometimes I just don't know, like, do we need more of these books or should I do something else? And I have been doing other projects, so... I'm not closed off to the. So if you decide the seventh is the last one, do you think you'd want to write another series or focus on kind of like standalone stories to kind of jump around in your creative endeavors? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I do think there are benefits to doing a standalone. Um, but I also think that there are benefits to series too, because a series, you don't have to recreate the world every time and you don't oh, have yeah. to recreate like the tone and the mm. characters are, you know, like your main characters are always there and they have the same personalities. Whereas like with a standalone, you're always sort of trying to find like each character's voice all over again. Um, but a standalone is nice because you can explore something that you've not done before, which is really good for growing as a writer because you can, you know, for a duet for home, my standalone, I could experiment with different voices, writing in um, alternating viewpoints. And I sort of do that in the Vanderbeekers, but in a different way. So mm-hmm. this was just exploring something different. So I don't know, I guess like what I really want to do is just, keep on finding projects that are going to keep me interested in exploring new ways to write and exploring new topics. Mm. And it might come in the form of another series or it might come in the form of other standalones. I, I don't know yet. 
Yeah. Books take so long to write too. So like you get an idea and then like the book will come out like five years later. So by that time, like a lot has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's, the, the whole process just seems so, you know, um, you just seems like there's a lot of um, waiting just kind of for things. Sometimes waiting for your ideas to hit you that you want to write about and explore. And then there's the waiting for people to read it. And there's the waiting for your editors to read it. And just a lot of waiting, it seems like. There's a lot of waiting. And I think in the process of that, like I sort of forget what's happening now that like, I'm, let's say that this is a duet for home is book six. So like, I think I forget a lot of like what happened before. So like by hmm. the time, you know, this next book comes out, next Vanderbeeker's book, was going to come out in September like I've been like really deep into the next Vanderbeeker's book. So then mm. I sort of have to remind myself what happened, like especially around launch, um, remind myself like what I wrote <laughs> in that book, because it does, it was like, you know, a while ago when I wrote it, <laughs> I did like a battle of the books once with the Vanderbeeker super fan. And I lost so badly <laughs> because it was like over book one. And I was at that point, like book five, four or five had been published. And I just didn't remember like all the little details. And she just crushed me. Yeah. When we, we had Laurel Snyder on, yeah, she said the exact same thing that she did a YouTube video or series where she, yeah, she competed and she lost every time. And it was, she, she said, we, she thought we were going to do something similar to her. So she was getting nervous um, <laughs> because yeah, she said she couldn't remember like what was in what draft and what actually made it into the final story. Right. Yeah. 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 And Laurel doesn't write series. So it's not even like she's in that world, the same world. Like at least I was like sort of in the same world. So I don't really have an <laughs> excuse. But I think all of it's like, there's, yeah, it's funny because the people who do that like fan author face off, they love it when the authors are like terrible at it because <laughs> it makes it more entertaining, I guess. Cause you never want like the author to be like, yeah, I crushed that reader. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so yeah. If you were asking like, are you going to like reread Vanderbeeker's one? I was like, no, I'd rather, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you see that sometimes when you see actors interviewed about like their movies, um, mm-hmm. Like they were very present in the moment, but maybe they didn't even watch the final product or they haven't revisited right. keep moving on. And so, yeah. Yeah. Because they're not involved in the editing process. So it's even worse for actors, I think, because they're not like the editing process goes on for like a year and mm-hmm. you don't even know, like if your part is a big part you know? <laughs> <laughs> until like you see the actual movie or see the publicity for it. And you're like, Oh, like I'm not even in this movie or, Oh, I'm like a star. <laughs> so it's, it's even weirder, I think for, for movie stars. Uh, so Rowan is also wondering, um, were any of the characters easy or hard to write for? Um, I feel really lucky that like for the Vanderbeekers, because I have to alternate viewpoints so frequently that I have five characters that I really enjoy writing their perspectives. So in a way, it's always characters are not like my uh, Achilles heel. Um, Plot is my Achilles heel. I'm horrible at plot. Like I can just write characters like describing them and 
conversation and turn on dialogue forever. And that's not a problem. It's like getting them to do stuff <laughs> that mm-hmm. like makes the book um, have like highs and lows and a climax. Like that's really where I struggle. Um, so the characters, I love writing characters. I like writing characters that are complicated and young and old and every age. So yeah, plot is definitely where I struggle. And I think like, that's important to know, like um, for those of you who are writing, like there'll be things that you're naturally better at. I have friends who are fabulous at plot and I learn a lot from them. Like I, I sort of see what their process is and how they outline. And a lot of times I incorporate sort of their tips into how I write and, um, but yeah, there will be always be things that come a little easier. Um, so characters are a little easier for me. Settings a little easier. Plot is not so much. Hmm. So we have a question about kind of related to this from Rhiannon. Um, and it says, I like to write stories and have lots of ideas, but I can never finish any of them. Do you have any suggestions for this? So this seems to be related to both kind of character and plot. But I imagine that even as a novelist who's finished several novels, that's one of those challenges that probably stays with you. you learning to exactly how to finish something doesn't, is probably always something of a challenge. Yeah. I think, um, I think finishing is a huge hurdle. And what I would say is I was exactly the same way. Um, I would like get an idea and be really excited about it and start the story and then run out of steam have writer's block. And then I'd be like, okay, this is not a story that's going anywhere. But in all honesty, I think every story has potential, even if you feel like it's just a dead end. Um, And I think if all of us, like everyone who has like a published book out there or a story you finished, I think all of us have those doubts, like somewhere in the book, whether it be in the middle, I think the middle is usually the hardest because it's just like a lot of space, you know, you have to fill in with like a plot or character development. My suggestion and what really helped me finish the Vanderbeekers of 141st Street was I did a challenge, um, which I think I mentioned in the other talk I had with you, um, is the, I used to do NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel oh, yeah. Yeah. Month. And that challenges people to write a whole novel in one month. And I think it was probably created because of that issue of not being able to finish books. And basically, um, if you take, you know, a a length of a novel, which is 50,000 words, um, adult books are much longer than that. And but kids' books, like middle grade books, are around 50,000. And if you divide that by 30, you get 1,667-ish. Um, so if you write that number of words every day, um, you'll by the end of the month, you'll get 50,000 words. And that's a completed book. Um, is it a good book? Probably not because you wrote it fast. But I think you know, it is really hard to finish. So I always try to do that in my own writing is like keep that word count in mind when I'm writing and not um, not stop until I finished my word count for the day. I do think that's really helpful. 
Um, because by the end you have a finished book and then you can go back and think about it, revise. And it's not as daunting anymore because you've already finished the story. And it's just a matter of like fixing things rather than being somewhere in the middle and giving up. Um, yeah. Yeah. 1600 words a day though. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> well, I, and I haven't looked into NaNoWriMo in a long time, but if I'm remembering correctly and correct me if I'm not, um, it's like, you just need to get the words down, right? Like you, you need to, you need to finish it and it doesn't even need to make sense. Sometimes if you're in like a writer's block kind of situation, you can even just kind of write what you're thinking about. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The thing about NaNoWriMo is that you don't want to delete anything. Even if you absolutely know you're not keeping that in your final book, um, just keep it in for your word count and you can delete it later because once you get to, you know, your goal, um, I, this always happens to me and I'm certain it's going to happen for you too, is it's going to go over. You're going to go over your word count when you're revising or even when you're in the middle of drafting and you'll need to delete stuff. Um, I think my like Vanderbeekers one, when I, um, my editor bought it. It was like 65,000 words at that point. And she asked me to cut 20,000 words. <laughs> so there's a lot of skimming you have to do like when you're revising. Mm. So um, yeah, so that's just the process of, you know, of cutting things. Sometimes I feel like people are afraid to cut words, um, but you don't need to be afraid to cut words. Like that's part of the process, even though it's not always fun. Um, but I've yeah. actually really enjoyed, I really enjoy like cutting stuff. <laughs> so. Okay. We have, we don't want to keep you too much longer. So let's, let's, let's rapid fire a couple of these questions here, Graham from, uh, Garrett and Eliana uh, and Evan. Uh, so Garrett wants to know, um, uh, what's the most interesting book you've ever read? Do you, could you, is that a question you could just answer on the spot? Do you know what you think is the most interesting book you've ever read? No. Yeah. That's, that would take a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that as soon as I saw that question I thought, well, I'm not I, I I would like to know what Garrett how he would answer that. Like does he just yes. know that off the top of his head? Yeah, I would like to know what Garrett thinks. And Damien wants to know, could you um he wants to know if if you like uh card games or board games better? Card games. Do you have a favorite card game? Um I like um there's like some word games like I forgot what they're called. So I like Bananagrams, which is not a card game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's also like, is it something with kings in it? I don't know. My my kids have like all these in their room and we play them once in a while. But yeah, anyways, there are some card games that are just really great that we play a lot. Uh, Eliana wants to know, what is your favorite dragon? My favorite dragon? Uh-huh. Um, okay. So in How to Train a Dragon? Uh-huh. I like that one. I don't remember the name. Do you? His name's Toothless. Toothless. That's right. I think I like (laughs) him so much because um, we have a cat that looks very similar, like the face and the eyes. So (laughs) when we saw that movie, we're like, oh my gosh, that's just like our cat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Evan wants to know, what's your favorite thing to do in the summertime? Favorite thing to do in the summertime is probably to bike and to hike. Uh, Lucy and William want to know, uh, would you rather swim in the ocean or a pool? Pool. Yeah, ocean. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not a strong swimmer. I didn't grow up swimming. So like when I see people swimming in the ocean, I'm just like amazed. I just think they're just incredible. <laughs> so do you, do you like going to the beach at all and not going in the water or you just don't like any of it? No, I do like the beach. We don't actually spend a lot of time on the beach because usually in the summer we'll go like north to where it's a little cooler and go hiking. But my kids were saying like, we haven't been in the beach forever and made me feel like a horrible mom. I was like, oh my gosh, you're so deprived. But because we often like go hiking instead. So I guess I, I do get that. Like people often say like, you're either a beach person or like a woods person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like water, like I like lakes and rivers and streams and stuff, but I don't know. I feel like beaches, at least where I am, it's, they're always really crowded and I don't like being around like tons and tons of people. Yeah. I'm not a beach person myself. Graham, you love the water, don't you? I love the water, but, um, I would take a mountain lake any day over the beach. I do like the beach, but not just like rarely. <laughs> This is I don't like sand. It's too much sand with the kids in the car and the whole like sunscreen and yeah. Oh yeah, sunscreen. Oh my gosh. It's like yeah, I don't know. Like my my kids just hate sunscreen. I mean I don't blame them, but it's like being like they're being tortured. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like David and I, like our kids are young enough where we have to like watch them like a hawk. So it's not like a relaxing experience yeah. at the beach. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> Uh, would you rather read a book or edit your own? Uh, read a book. And Graham, you want to ask this last one about a thousand dollars? Oh yeah. So these, well, here's this is from Lucy Anna, and William. Uh, would what would you do with a thousand dollars? Oh, thousand dollars. Um, man, I don't know if I can answer that quickly. I really don't know. I think I, I would depend. I would. Have, Probably invest in that chocolate covered Cheeto company. Oh yes. That's going places. So we could all kind of go in on that together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Collectively buy a steak. Yes. All right. All right, Graham. Uh, we've got a couple couple questions here uh, from Molly and she's basically created a, a, a little quiz here. I'm gonna let Graham take you through. through oh no. Okay, so Karina, we we do uh, a lot of times we do like craft an author quiz. Um, where they're just silly questions, but it seems like Molly has kind of taken the initiative to make her own quiz for us. And we'll Uh, end with this. And she, so she's put together four questions and then she put the answers at the bottom and I've done a really good job not looking at the answers. So I don't know, I don't know the answers to these questions. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, same. So we're we're all in this one together, Karina. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Uh Uh-oh. All right, so she says, this is from Molly. Question one. Uh, During the month of October 1943, British troops were trying to advance on the German held uh, held in an Italian town. A pigeon was sent to give a message and save thousands of soldiers during World War II. What was this pigeon's name? So the answers are Willoughby the Wonder Pigeon. Let's call that A. uh, B, G.I. Joe. C, Rolf, or D, Frankie Roosevelt. So this is a pigeon that saved people during World War II. During World War II. Um, the pigeons are kind of a theme on this, this podcast. Um, kind of, and also probably living in New York, they're probably a theme for you. 
Why is it a theme in your podcast? Are there a lot of pigeons for you? Uh, so the first part of part of the show is we go through a book. Um, we do a couple of chapters talking through a book each episode. And mm-hmm. our first season was the railway. Uh, but yeah. Oh, okay. and there was a scene there where they were eating pigeon pie, and David and I uh, talked about that at length. And then pigeons, we were incredulous. Pigeons just kept coming up, and then uh, people have like sent us pigeons, like they've made pigeons oh, for uh-huh. us. Uh-huh. Oh, that's really sweet. It, uh, yeah, there's crocheted pigeons and things like that. So you're asking for an answer, and it, the answer is it doesn't make a lot of sense. But here we are. <laughs> Okay. No, I think that makes sense. Um, okay. So this pigeon's name, I'm going to go with Ralph. <laughs> I, I feel like that's probably what I would go with too. Yeah. I don't think they ne- named it after the president. I'm going to say Willoughby, the wonder pigeon. All right. Let's I do see. like that a lot. B. It was G.I. Joe. The answer was B. <laughs> Really? Yes. <laughs> that was like my last. I know, same. Every, we're all wrong. Uh, okay, so question two, Cheetos or Doritos. Uh, were Cheetos or Doritos invented and sold first? Which one was sold first? Hmm. I feel like Doritos are from the 80s and maybe Cheetos are older than that. I'll say Doritos is older. All right, David, you got to break the tie. Uh, I I think I'm going to go Cheetos or older. I got to find the answer. <laughs> it was Cheetos. Oh, great this, job. Now this makes me want to look up uh, when those yeah, like, were actually. Yeah, invented. exactly. I don't Why think I know very much about like the, like how snack foods like that originated. Like the timeline. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's because you're busy making ice cream in your home. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, I, you have to I, say that my like writing snack is Cheez Its. So maybe we should mm. look that up too. Oh, you said spicy Cheez Its, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Oh man, Sp- spicy Cheez Its are so good. They are. We yeah, we're big fans. Uh, and my family, uh, when we do grocery day, for some reason they don't order the family box, so we just get the tiny little box. Snack size. They think that's yeah. like. Good enough it's not for enough. the kids and me. It's not. No. Yeah, so then you get none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the kids get none. I don't know. Uh, how yeah, much I, in your... I do some late night snacking, so the box is significantly <laughs> less full in the morning. Okay. Um, well, Two I more. do want to look this up later. I want to know if Cheetos were like a year before Doritos or if they were invented <laughs> in like 1775. All right. I'll look it up while you read the next question. Okay. Uh, question three. Uh, who made the largest ice cream sundae. Okay. So Caitlin Johnson in 1933 in Nebraska. This, these are so hard, Molly. Come on. Uh, John uh, Artonian 2001 in Mexico City. Mike Roganini in 1988 in Alberta. Oh, I don't think Alberta. Well, hmm. Or uh, <laughs> Kenneth Barlow, 1996, San Francisco. I mean, we might. Have, this is we just might as well just guess randomly, you know. Well, guess let's, based on let's guess based on which city we want to visit the most. So there's one in Nebraska, Mexico City, Alberta, Canada, or San Francisco. Well, I'm going to go Mexico City because I've never been to Mexico City. Yeah, I was going for that one too. Okay. The answer is C. Mike in Alberta, uh, 1988. 
The Sunday weighed 54,000 pounds. Thanks. Okay, I, I have questions. Is that snow and like chocolate, chocolate hot fudge? Like, yeah, I've got a lot of questions too, David. How does an ice cream get that big without the ice cream melting? So are, at a certain point, if you're adding weight, aren't you also losing weight? Because it would Albert, melt. To no. sh- yeah, Albert, yeah, you're doing it in the dead of winter. <laughs> we should have yeah. known. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't be Mexico. Open freezer. Okay, so here's the answer to the Cheetos Doritos question we were just asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cheetos were introduced in 1948. Oh. And Doritos in 1964. Oh, so they're both older than I would have guessed. Yeah, same. Yeah. All right, last question. We got to let Karina go. She's probably got a write or something. All right, you ask this one. Do you see it? Okay. I do. Okay, so... Okay, chopsticks. The pair of small, thin sticks of wood, ivory or plastic, held together in one hand and used as eating utensils, especially by the Chinese and Japanese. They are most popularly used while eating noodle or rice dishes, dumplings, egg rolls, and Cheetos. And Karina, I don't know if you know this, um, we have interviewed multiple authors this season, prim- especially illustrators and authors, yeah. people who do both, who told us that they love eating Cheetos, but they eat them with chopsticks because they don't want their hands to get the Cheeto, yeah. Cheeto dust. So mm-hmm. apparently this is a, we, we discovered this is a real thing. This is m- not just one author, not just two authors, but multiple authors who told us they do this. Hence the question, I assume. Okay. So. Can I just uh, interrupt for a second? Yeah. So I think there that is a thing. And you know how um, if you're on Instagram, there's like algorithms, like mm-hmm. they try to sell you something like based on like who you are and what you do. Well, like the other day, something popped up on my Instagram feed, which was like this little chopstick thing that you put like in between your hands right here. And it's like a spring and like you can like write and then <laughs> you don't have to like pick up the chopsticks and like get them ready. They just sort of like fit right here and you can still type and get your snack. And I was like, this is targeted advertising. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably because you're friends on Instagram with us and we talked about those on the show. uh, (laughs) And some uh, listeners sent us some and they work really well. Uh, And we call those exact things. Yes. (laughs) We call them uh, snack snatchers. Snack snatchers. Yeah. Snack snatch. Okay. (laughs) But what's the question, David? Okay, so here's the question. Uh, so it's the, the um, Cheetos are one of many things that people use chopsticks for. Karina, if you had to choose two foods to eat chopsticks to eat with chopsticks for the rest of your life, what would they be? Okay, well, definitely the hot and spicy Cheez-Its because they do get all over your fingers and then you don't want that on your keyboard. Um, and I guess... I mean, I love dumplings, so that sounds mm. definitely dumplings for the rest of my life. With chopsticks. Dumplings and hot and spicy Cheez-Its. I wonder if there's a combo that could be, you could put those together somehow. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've come up with a couple of great ideas <laughs> in this last hour. Yeah. <laughs> combination, so. Maybe even a few things that could show up, should show up as, uh, you know, via an eccentric character in the future uh, Karina Yang Vazer book. That is true. Yes. Everything is, uh, yeah, I, I can use anything. <laughs> it's use all anything. fodder. Yes. <laughs> well, Karina, thank you so much for coming on and answering all these crazy questions from these kids. Thank you for writing your books. And uh, hopefully we'll see you sometime soon. Maybe we'll get you down for an event here in uh, North Carolina. 
Yeah, I would love that. I would really love that. I love North Carolina. So thanks for having me on again. Well, that was our conversation with Karina Yanglazer. That was fun. That was awesome. Well, Graham, we've yeah. come to the end of season three officially. Season four is coming up. We got to prepare though. We our, our my joke vault is running low. Uh, our riddle vault. Oh my goodness! Well, it's practically empty. I mean, and and you know, I think we may have to plant some more riddle seeds. Oh so yeah, that we can harvest them. The riddle later. garden. The riddle garden. We need the riddle yeah, garden. Exactly. We got to figure out this this whole uh, word of the week situation with the troll. Maybe we can. I, I know get we're that gonna do back. some negotiation. We also have to figure out, you know, some more lazy words. And maybe, who knows? Maybe there'll be another segment. Maybe we'll lose a segment. I don't know. You never know what you're going to lose in your life. So. You know, yeah, we lose things all we the might, time. We might find a new segment. We might just be walking down the road, just the two of us talking. And all of a sudden, we've discovered a new segment. So well, I'd love to find a new segment. And I mean, we definitely are going to find some new authors. So we got to get those That's lined up. We got to get those lined up. And of course, as we said earlier, if you would like to suggest one of your favorite authors who we've never interviewed, then you can email us at wheregram podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. The last thing I want to say about communicating with us is that we always love to hear from you. And when you come into the bookstore, it's so great to meet people face to face who are listening and who are enjoying the show. Um, so just so you know, when you come by and, and you send us things and you send us, you knit, you knit trolls or you send us snacks, we love that. And thank you so much for, for just being a part of everything we're doing here at Withy Wendell. Yeah, indeed. The Withy Wendell clan yeah we tr- we tried this last time and i don't remember what it was the withy windle village the withy windle tribe the withy windle ship the windlers <laughs> the windlers there you go the withy the, the withy windle ship is actually kind of interesting because the withy windle's a river the withy windle ship anyway we'll keep workshopping that over the over the break but <laughs> thanks to everybody who has been listening and thanks of course to sd smith and the green writer for sponsoring and don't forget that when you go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com you can get three free lessons and when you use the code W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E that is with the code WITHYWINDLE you can get $10 off uh, that program as well so thank you to them thank you to everybody who has been listening communicating commenting leaving reviews sharing with your friends sending snacks anything else that I need to add to this? I think you got it alright well we're gonna go hibernate now thanks so much for listening goodbye goodbye